welcome to RCA Radio, a podcast where we cover the latest news and challenges in regulatory, compliance, and quality assurance facing the life science industries. I'm your host, Brandon Miller. In this episode of RCA Radio, we'll be exploring what is happening to the pharmaceutical industry in 2022 and provide you with some insight on how to prepare yourself for these upcoming initiatives. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Lin, who is RCA's Executive VP of Pharmaceuticals. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Brandon. How are you? I'm great. Um, excited for this new year. Things are happening, and I'm excited to go discuss these with you today. And as I said before, the goal for the podcast is to cover those major things happening in the pharma industry this year, such as the increase in spending the industry has as a whole, continued expansion of cell and gene therapies, mRNA technologies, virtual manufacturers, the ongoing supply chain issues, and the compliance hurricane that's forming. We've got a lot to tackle today, so let's just jump right into it. Can you break down the additional funding that's planned for the industry this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, it's planned, but in the last past couple of years, it brought a lot of money coming into the, to the biotech pharma device industry as well, but over the life science industries. I think, you know, venture capitalists funding of various biopharma companies and pharma companies um, appears to be continuing according to the uh, various financial pundits who are pontificating that they will be continue money coming into the entire industry. Uh, what I'm saying there, it's it's good because investment leads to breakthrough in treatments and other improvements, but also it's cautionary because companies need to be careful of trying to accelerate too fast and missing things and causing uh, more problems than, than maybe they had or had not had beforehand. As the uh, old Rose signs used to say, speed kills sometimes. So you have to keep an eye on that. And then I would say uh, along the uh, expansion in investment, so in gene therapies, uh, we're going to continue to see high investment according to what we're seeing. Doing again, rapid development again with that area. And then it's, it's just an exciting area, what you're seeing in the, in the gene therapy specifically, and it's in the cell area, but they're finding different therapeutics all the way from oncology products to dermatology products and in between. So there's a lot of things coming up. And with that new development comes challenges as well. Like, for instance, with so many of these companies, either in early stages, pre-IND, some of them are early stage clinical trials, other ones are later stage stages. There's dead developmental challenges with each individual phase, as our, our audience more than knows. Companies like ourselves can help with that, you know, looking at various manufacturing opportunities for improvement quality or labs, stuff in your labs or across your supply chain. We can help navigate the many, many, many pitfalls that can happen going on in your development organization as you move your early phase into full-scale commercial at the end. And I'd say the last thing to add around here is, you know, investments-wise and you know, change in industry. I think, you know, last year's with the uh, advent of the new mRNA COVID va- vaccines, I think that's opened up the area as well for more investment to see what the industry can do with the various mRNA technologies to expand, you know, various health treatments as well. I think there's a lot of, I think just like the gene therapy market before the, you know, the first gene therapy approval back in 2017, I think we're going to see more and more around the uh, mRNA and other similar kind of developmental pathways, products coming out as, you know, more money comes into it now that it's been proven that it works. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you think that uh, people are going to be trying to merge together or do you think it's going to be more pop-up? I think it's going to be a little bit of both. I think you're from the M&A activity, from what we're hearing, I mean, again, the uh, the financial pundits are pontificating basically that, you know, they'll continue to be basically called, they call them bolt-on kind of acquisitions. Like for instance, you know, company buying like a biotech company, a smaller startup or something like that. 
versus the uh, the mega mergers we've seen in the past. So I think continued uptick in M&A activity from what we're hearing, but at the same time, uh, for our listeners, the thing around that is M- with increased M&A activity, you're talking, you know, doing robust due diligence. Those are due diligence audits and so forth. And that's where we can help the companies as well, kind of navigate through what kind of areas to cover doing an audit, whether it be an audit of a lab or a manufacturing site or some other kind of outsourced supplier, but also helping to think through uh, what needs to be covered, who to cover, when to cover it, and the various kind of skill sets you need to do these audits. So you mentioned those bolt-on biotechs kind of emerging, and I know that the virtual manufacturers are going to start emerging as well. Can you kind of expand on that? I don't think, yeah, virtual manufacturers have definitely been around for a while now, as we all know. But I think there's going to be more and more either, especially with the new investments and so forth, and continued investment, whether it be VC or wherever the money's coming from, you're going to see more and more virtual companies. As companies are looking at it as a ability to get onto the market faster. Again, as we see more and more and more of these, it's good because there's new products coming on the market or new therapies. And there's challenges at every stage, like we said before, from those early stage startups that are outsourcing like preclinical studies to those late phase trials and other companies they are using outsourced CROs and outsourced monitoring and outsourced labs and outsourced manufacturing. And I mean, for our clients that we've seen for our virtual manufacturing clients, I mean, the challenges is trying to stay ahead of the development speed uh, as you try to commercialize and build robust processes that help to assure that the quality of your products or your studies or whatever outsource operation you're talking about, you have oversight and control of. So being if you're the virtual manufacturer, you can't outsource your, the, the quality of a product. So your virtual manufacturing quality unit will have to oversee the outsource operations of the, the quality unit of that outsource company, whether it can be a lab or the uh, CDMO or, or something along those lines. Do you see these virtual manufacturers being a benefit towards the industry as a whole? Yeah, I don't see how they're not. I mean, it just it's it's you know various ways to get the products made in a, in a shorter hopefully in a shorter succession of time, but also different challenges. Like I said, it's the oversight of your outsource operations and making sure you're truly outsourcing. Uh, and you know, one of those companies has said, "I'm going to you know." The CDMO has a quality unit, so that's going to be where we're going to do quality. Um, it's just some of those little regulatory strategy things that companies need to be aware of. Because there's no, we have to own our quality. And basically coming down to the question is, how do we know what we've outsourced? We're getting the quality of whatever, like a lab test or a quality of the product it's in and of itself um, or whatever service. How do you know you're getting what you're supposed to be getting? And if you can't answer that definitively, you might want to rethink some of your uh supply chain strategies. Yeah. And speaking with supply chain strategies, I know every industry in the United States and all over the world are having supply chain issues still. What do you what do you see happening with the pharmaceutical industry and their supply chains? So the supply chain constraints are definitely going to continue in not only the pharma industry and the biotech industry, device industry, but across multiple other commodities. I think about the picture we were seeing, you know, in the December timeframe, and even now in 2022, you've seen all the like the different ships and stuff over major ports of entry, just sitting out there trying to get it offloaded. So COVID is still causing a lot of constraints. And in the farm industry, you think about it, so think about you're an aseptic manufacturer. How many companies have had trouble getting various, you know, filters this year? Uh, for companies making fear, you know, fast and furious calls, trying to find out, find a, a various certain 
filter that they needed because uh, a lot of these similar vendors, similar filters, similar operations, say in the aseptics area. Also think about what do we hear a lot with COVID? I mean, glass shortages. So, you know, like the primary packaging, like vials and so forth, not only for the vaccines, but also across the sterile's industry or, you know, things like that or API shortages and so forth. So again, these requiring companies to do a lot more kind of thinking through their entire supply chain soup to nuts, where their risks are, where can they mitigate their risks? But again, also at the same time, sometimes you can't get around that risk. You need that one filter. You need you need that specific type of vial because that's what's filed. And then moving forward, is you think about what kind of changes might you want to make or will you be making and doing proper change control around that. It's one big thing around the supply chain is doing the proper change control and the, the risk assessments and so forth that go into that. Make sure you're, you're thinking it all the way through and assessing it. Then as the saying goes, uh, measure twice, cut once, I believe, and then going forward and then implementing it from there uh, so you don't have problems. So I'd say another thing that happens is, you know, say do proper change crew, you would do something or you have plans to like expand capacity or, you know, add another supplier of an API or so forth. But again, with these supply chain issues, sometimes you can't get around it. The time frames it takes for instance, you want to add capacity, but uh, CDMOs have, have had limited capacity across multiple different quality types, whether it be advanced therapies like gene therapies or APIs or biologics or just small molecules. So the CDMOs have had, have, have had some capacity issues, and I think they'll continue because, again, we talked about virtual manufacturers and other companies that are outsourcing manufacturing or lab services or or whatever they may be outsourcing. CDMOs are one of those companies that uh, have been affected by that. It's good for the CDMOs, but the, the capacity is just sometimes the drugs can get to the market. And that could lead to more decisions on you know what to produce versus what not to produce. Like for instance, you're sitting at a company, you're thinking through, we have a you know portfolio of products, but we say five products when you keep it small, but we can only get the materials we need to make you know, certain you know, three out of the five, we, we are for sure, we're sure we can get this kind of material for these products. Then go back to thinking from, you know, manufacturing planning. What do you manufacture? Do you manufacture just those three or those three that, for instance, you know, as you think it through, they're, you know, low volume products don't sell that much. You might do one or two batches a year. These little factors that come into mind, or are they as a large volume product, you know, you have enough for so many months or something like that. So these kind of situations with the supply chain issue, these various things that come up, capacity constraints, supply constraints, getting various materials that lead to, you know, quality operations in our supply chain brethren having a lot of headaches. And I think that's going to continue this year for sure. Yeah. And something for companies to think about is possibly reshoring some of their products they need and bringing them in-house uh, or at least within country borders. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned reshoring because you know, reshoring is going to be something around, you know, around the supply chain. We're going to continue watching not only here in the United States, but around the world. So with that said, you I mean, took the you know, United States uh, and other countries, you know, decades to offshore a lot of this manufacturing. And it's going to take a while for them to get it back. Um, but now it's kind of thinking through, say, for instance, here in the United States, what do we need? What is it going to take? Uh, how do you do it properly instead of rushing it? Talk about advanced therapies, bringing more of that in 
continuous manufacturing of various APIs and so forth, uh, smaller kind of footprint operations, uh, whether it be some kind of like modular technology to manufacture a drug to be like so I think looking at various you know, the government and so forth if you're hearing stuff where you know they're you know how can we do more kind of the just in time kind of manufacturing i think they're talking a little bit about pods so i think another area around the whole supply chain leading into different technologies is going to be these different manufacturing setups whether it be pod technology or you know smaller footprint more single use systems different things like that to not only continue to make sure you have the product that you're trying to produce, but also do it in a safe and effective way by removing as much risk as possible. So those are some things coming up. But I think reshoring is going to continue being there as a big topic in the coming year. You're hearing it in the uh, the halls of Congress. You're hearing it in the press, the local or national press, or even, of course, even our trade press. I think it's, it's an issue that's there. And I think some various organizations like the uh, NSF, the National Science Foundation, had a study last year you know, about supply chain. I think they're continuing to go forward with, beside NFF, the uh, National Science Foundation, but other organizations are coming up with, you know, what can we do to fix this, including the, uh, the Biden administration is looking at it as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the coming year. But from the quality compliance in the, you know, in the regulatory part of things, I think the big thing is just it's managing risk is the two words, manage risk. Yeah, and you managing risk is always important. And I know getting remote assessments and inspections done to help identify root causes or and help mitigate these risks. What, what do you see the regulators doing and how do you how do you think they're going to be continuing to do their audits and assessments, do you think they're going to continue doing this hybrid uh, virtual approach? Do you think it's we're going to start moving more toward going back on site? How do you think that's going to play out this year? It's going to depend on, of course, COVID. So I think when various global regulators, when they're able to get back full time in the inspection, I think, of course, you know, I think they've all said FDA and, you know, outside of the FDA and Regulators have said there's there's no replacement for an on-site inspection. And then from the auditing perspective on our side, the industry side, I completely agree. But I see what's going forward with with various regulators. I think we're going to see a lot more of called the called the hybrid model, similar to what we've been doing in industry. If we can, I mean, you might do a full remote kind of audit, but then sometimes, like for instance, just a couple of weeks ago, did part of an audit was remote. And then did a lot of documents. Then we were colleague and I went on site, went on site for three days and did an audit and came back and finished it up and closed out remotely. And then seeing that across, you know, various regulators as well, where they'll start this remote assessment. They don't call it an inspection as specific to the FDA. So they'll start a remote assessment and then they will come on site and do the inspection where they are able to take, you know, what they've seen in red, like, and I call it, you know, their the preparatory assessment remotely. And then on site, they bring that, what they've learned from that on site, whether it be looking at certain issues or how better focused they're on it. I don't think that's going to be a change. I think it's just going to be more. And I think when, once the, uh, pandemic is finally under control, I believe that's going to be the status quo for the for the foreseeable future. Just for the fact that just it adds in more kind of efficiencies to the inspection model. Um, you can do some stuff remotely online, looking at things, getting ready for your inspection. Once you get on site and do your inspection, you can just hit everything you need to hit in a short time frame as possible, minimize your footprint. I think it's going to be a mix. I think the hybrid models there for saying other regulators are doing it as well. Uh, it's just like us on the industry. We're going to continue doing these kind of remote audits, whether it be 
remote audits we've done like in the diligence area. We've talked about the due diligence or doing like a remote kind of um, inspection or audit, getting people ready for kind of that remote assessment like the FDA is doing or remote inspections like other regulators are doing. We're getting people ready for the on-site audit. Like, you know, can do all that, whether it be the gap assessments as well. Is the FDA going to still continue to use their risk-based approach when deciding who gets these uh, hybrid audits? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think in this situation, they've been doing risk-based kind of selection of the various manufacturing sites, labs, or whatever they're going to inspect across you know various FDA commodities they regulate, uh, pharma and biotech in our case. And I think that'll continue. And right now, they're being even more selective because of COVID, so it's uh, they have you know, a couple of different priorities listed on the FDA's websites. Like, is it you know, a shortage drug? Is it something that's needed to treat COVID? Various things like that. I think that'll continue kind of focusing their efforts until the uh, pandemic gets a little bit more under control. Um, you know, as right now we're dealing with the Omicron variant that's causing a, a significant amount of disruption in the United States and around the world for that matter. So and, you know, once that thing hopefully gets under control, we'll see more and more inspections coming. As we were doing before, we started to see more and then the variants started hitting Delta and then the Omicron. How do you think these regulators are going to handle the backlog of all of the assessments they're going to have to do? Well, I think just FDA and other regulators, they're going to continue handling like they are now. Public health priority based on risk. So right now, I'm thinking about, like we mentioned, is it something that's going to benefit COVID treatments, like getting those vaccines emergency use authorized and then, of course, getting some of those first approvals? in for those vaccines, the Pfizer, Moderna, and the J&J. I think they're going to continue doing that. But once the uh, pandemic settles down a little bit, I believe that they'll expand that a little bit more back, getting back to their kind of uh, routine site selection modeling will continue to be based on risk, getting out to more manufacturers. So as they're able to get more investigators on the road or in airplanes around the world, you're going to see uh, more more inspections based on risk, hopefully getting back to like we were before thinking about like, what are the highest risk it's been around for a while? I mean, you think about sterile manufacturing, something that's injected or you think like in, intrathecal injections, which are just done directly into the spinal column, stuff like that. Those kind of things where the most harm can happen, you know, sterile's first and then going down various different commodities, technologies and so forth. I think we're going to see a lot more see that more and more and more as the pandemic subsides. The other thing to keep in mind around that is to continue watching the various regulators, FDA, the various EU countries, the EMA, which, you know, the European Medicine Association, you know, various big regulators around the world to see how they're reacting um, to various pandemic issues and also different policy changes like we've been talking about in inspection site selection and how they're doing it now on the FDA having you know, a lot of information on their website around that as well and a plan on how they're going to do it so they can show industry what they're, what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're prioritizing. But also moving forward into other areas that might uh, change in policies and so forth. Even with the, um, think about even the, the WHO, the World Health Organization, decisions they make can, can and do affect other regulatory regulators around the world. Just keeping an eye on that is going to be big not only for us here in RCA, but also for all of our constituents and colleagues out in the industry as well. And then the big thing I would think that, I, in my opinion, we're going to see more of in the future as these various global regulators like the FDAs and the MHRAs and the UK and the EMA countries, the Australians and so forth, when they start doing Japanese, when they start doing more and more inspections, I, I foresee, you know, 
kind of an uptick in compliance and, and enforcement actions. I mean, they really haven't had full scale, you know, normal routine operations for going on what, almost three years now. So with that said, you know, companies can get out of, of course, get out of practice and, you know, handling inspections, which leads to opportunities for, you know, do we need to do a kind of a mock kind of FDA or, or some kind of health authority kind of audit to simulate an inspection just to get your uh, skill set back up, knowing that you're probably going to have a face to face in the future or actually doing kind of gap assessments or like a quality gap assessment or just doing a regular six system GMP kind of audit for a company just to see where you stand since. I mean, if you think about it, it's probably been a couple of years since an external, not someone not within your company has been auditing you. Uh, so I think there's definitely going to be a compliance. I call it a compliance hurricane starting to form. And I think once they get on, uh, get on site, big issues or small issues, I think issues are going to be found and companies need to be prepared for it. So I think the, the key word here, and I would say kind of sums up this whole kind of out, out, outlook we've been talking about is proactivity. How can you be proactive to achieve your strategy, but also being able to think, think through to make sure that strategy you're planning has been properly assessed and planned out so you're successful with it and you don't have to backtrack and, re, and rethink through your strategy. Yeah, it's always smart to be prepared. I know we've been going on for a decent amount of time. Do you have any final thoughts before we close this out? Nope. No, I think that's it. I think, I mean, I know I didn't cover everything, but some of the things that kind of hit my mind as we were walking through all this today, what to look for in the future. And we look forward to hearing from our clients and their concerns and any prospective clients. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time today to go over what's happening in 2022 with the pharmaceutical industry. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of RCA Radio. Be sure to subscribe to be the first to know when we upload the next episode. Thank you again and have a great day.